Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. The fact that Paul went to the Lord three times tells you that this thing was very real and it was very persistent in his life. He was pleading to the Lord. I've been there before. I've had an ailment before where it wasn't as severe as that, I don't think, but but where it was just persistent in my life. And I kept telling the Lord, remove it, remove it. I've had gout before. Maybe that's what Paul was dealing with. (laughs) It feels like a steak. And I remember being in a chair for like, you know, two weeks and and I couldn't move. I couldn't even walk. And I'm saying, Lord, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. So we know that it was persistent, but we also know that there was a real purpose for why this suffering came on Paul. And that was to keep him from becoming full of pride. Because a prideful Paul, God couldn't use. A humble Paul, God can use. And sometimes, and I'm just going to say it here, you guys, sometimes suffering comes about in our own lives because there's pride in our lives. We get so full of ourselves. We're like Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament? Here was the king that ruled the kingdoms, and he thought he was a god. He even built this huge statue 90 feet high out of gold and wanted everybody to worship it because it was an idol of himself. And everybody was required to worship that idol and to bow down to it because he got that big-headed. He thought he was higher than God. And then what did God do? God sent him out to pasture with the cows. He went out grazing. God took his mind from him. And this high and mighty Nebuchadnezzar found himself eating grass with the cows. See, sometimes suffering comes in our lives to make us aware that we're way too strong. We think way too highly of ourselves. We're relying way too much on our own strengths and our own gifts. And God brings us into a little bit of correction because most people that I know that have ever endured suffering, some of the first questions they ask is, Lord, is it I? Lord, is there something going on in my life? Now, Granted, there's a lot of times suffering comes upon our lives and it isn't because we're prideful and it isn't necessarily because we're doing something wrong with God. And that's what the prosperity movement's going to tell you too, that suffering sometimes comes because there's something wrong with you. You're either doing something wrong with God or you don't have enough faith in your life. And sometimes that's not the case, but sometimes suffering comes into our lives as a blessing. Do you know that Paul said that there was a thorn in the flesh that was given to him? Question is, who gave it to him? I'm going to throw this out here too. God gave it to him. God gave it to him. He was the one in ultimate control. And what Paul fought at first, he realized later to be a gift from the Lord because it kept him humble. 
Paul knew the destruction of pride more than anybody. He came out of being a Pharisee. He came out of being a religious leader. He came out of a prideful movement. And he realized more than anybody how dangerous pride can be. And especially when you start to take the glory from God. And so Paul saw it as a gift. And I've got passages I can give you. I can give you Job. Job chapter 1. Job was a righteous man, the Bible says. Says he was blameless in all of his ways, and yet Satan goes to God and says, What about your servant Job? What about your servant Job? And and God allowed him access to Job. We saw it in the life of Peter when Jesus went to Peter in Luke chapter 22, and he tells Peter, Satan has requested to sift you as wheat. Satan has requested to sift you as wheat. Isn't that strange that Satan needs permission from God? Satan has requested to sift you as wheat, but when you are restored, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew the beginning to the end in Peter's life. He knew that he would be sifted by Satan. He knew that he would fail God, but he also knew that he would be restored as well. And so we see passages of Scripture that show you and I that Satan has to go to God for permission. And that means if God allows it, there's a purpose for what we go through in this life. You know why else I know it was from the Lord? Because the outcome was so good. It kept Paul humble. Satan doesn't want Paul humble. Satan wants a prideful Paul. Satan wants a Paul that will puff himself up. Satan wants a Paul that will lean on his own understanding. Satan wants a Paul... But yet, this very thing, God allows it to take place. God allows it to take place, and the outcome was that he would be humbled. If you're going through something, examine your heart. Examine your heart because the things we go through aren't in vain in this life. The good, the bad, the ugly all work out for the good of those who are called by God and according to his purposes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So there's a reason. There's a reason for it. And it may be something that God is trying to get into your own heart. Maybe he's been trying to get at something and now you're going through it and now you're examining yourself. Now you're looking at your own heart. Something that you didn't do before, but now all of a sudden you're examining it. See, in Paul's life, he realized it, at least in all of his maturity, he realized He realized. The second thing that suffering of Paul did, it led him to Jesus. Where did Paul turn to when he was going through the suffering in his life? He turned right to Jesus. He turned right to Jesus. And I think that's so important for you and I to understand that in the suffering of this life, there is always a good thing because it always, on a true believer, will drive you to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have questions, and I'm not saying you're not going to have your moments of doubts, but that goes back to what I said earlier. You and I need each other. You and I need each other. There's people that have pulled up alongside me in my life, and they've given me encouraging words during my most down times. But there's never been a time, never been a time, where I wasn't going through something and I didn't turn to the Lord first. It doesn't matter what it was. I always turn to the Lord. I always turn to the Lord and I ask the Lord. And look at here, Paul, it says he pleads with the Lord. 
He pleads with the Lord, and he didn't go to him just once. He went to him multiple times. Most scholars, when he says, I went to the Lord three times, they think he's using terminology that's in this light, that I've gone to the Lord again and again. He went straight to the Lord. And I think all of us here this morning, most of us, have been in that boat before where the suffering that we endured in our life drove us to a deeper relationship with God. The outcome is always good. Always good. Now, I'm not talking about people that don't have real faith. There is a real faith that's spoken of in the Bible, and there's a phony faith that's spoken of in the Bible. James hits you hard in James chapter 2. You know, faith without works is dead. That's a phony faith. You can tell me that you have faith, and you can tell me that you believe, but James says, show me your works. Now with Timothy, Paul says in chapter 1, I think it's chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he calls Timothy's faith the genuine faith. There's a genuine faith. So there's a real faith and there's a phony faith that exists. Just like today, it's no different. In, In the early church, they were dealing with the same thing. That's why James had hit him so hard. It's all these people that were proclaiming to be Christians, but they had no works to back it up. And James isn't saying that you're saved by works, but he says, if you're really saved, show me your life. Show me your life. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about, don't think it's strange when, to face these fiery trials. And then he talks about our, the genuine faith being purified. Genuine, real faith in the Lord is always purified through suffering. Always. Always has been. Because you can't take real faith. Real faith is always tested. Real faith is always proved. And suffering brings some people to Jesus for salvation. There was a man who, some, some of our leaders would remember him. This was in the old sanctuary, but there's a man who started coming to church when he was older and his health started to fail him. And somebody told him to come to Christ Community Church. So he came and made a commitment, started coming every Sunday, but he was coming in a wheelchair and he came with an oxygen mask on. And we prayed for healing in his life and all kinds of things. But instead of going forward and getting better, he was going in reverse and he was getting worse and worse and worse until he came to a point in his life where he couldn't come to church anymore. And he called me one day and he said, hey, pastor, I want to get baptized but I can't make it to church. And, and this was in, you remember, we used to baptize in the old sanctuary. So if you've been over the old sanctuary, you know, you got to climb up some steps and then you got to climb down some steps to get into it. And he couldn't do that. He said, you know what, pastor, I want to get baptized, but I can't make it to church. And I certainly can't climb those steps. He said, well, do you have a bathtub? <laughs> and he says, yeah, I got a bathtub. And I said, I'll be right over. <laughs> So we go over there and go to his house. He lived in Imperial. We drive up, and the only other people that were there was the caregiver and his son. And I'm telling you, this is why baptism is so beautiful, you guys. It's so marvelous that a caregiver and his son would see this going on in his father's life, and he's got him. In fact, I had to put him in the bathtub, and I brought his head down to a certain level. Then I pulled the oxygen mask off. That's how 
close he was to going to be with the Lord. And he understood that baptism wasn't a necessary requirement of salvation, but it was something that the Lord was doing in his life. And if you're able to get baptized, you're supposed to get baptized. And if you're a believer here this morning and you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. You're not supposed to withhold that from the Lord. If you're not wanting to get baptized, there's something wrong in your heart. And this guy saw the desire so much and he could barely breathe. And I get him in the bathtub, start to put him down, and then I pull the oxygen mask and, and then I put him under and then I bring him up. And then I was praising God when I put the mask back on that he was still breathing. And his caregiver took the picture, you know, but thank God for baptism because in that little bathroom, and it was a small bathroom, there, were, there was him, there was me, and there was his son, and you could barely move in there. And yet you would have thought this took place in the sanctuary because the joy of the Lord was just, I mean, you should have seen his face. He was smiling. Well, his son, somebody called me and said, you need to go see so-and-so, and I went this last week. The son who witnessed his father's baptism is now dealing with his own health issues, and he's seven years younger than me. And he went from 205 pounds down to 140. And he's got some blood thing going on, and they can't figure it out, and it doesn't look good. And his wife called me even and, and said, I need to get over there as quick as possible. And so I went over there, and, and we sat there, and here he is in the midst of his suffering, looked nothing Nothing like. I would, have, I would have never recognized him on the street. And to see him sitting on the couch and to just start shedding tears and 46 years old, I mean, you're, you don't expect those things. To sit there on the couch and, and once a strong, buff guy now down to 140 pounds and I said, look, do you have a Bible here? And I brought mine, but I asked for his because somebody had given him a Bible as a gift. He says, here, use this one. It's got my name on it. <laughs> so so I, I take the Bible and I open up to Romans 3 and couldn't even read it. The print was so small. But I said, dude, you really? He goes, yeah, I, I can't read it either. And I, he says, but it, it's there. And I said, man, you need a big print Bible. So I'm going to get you a, a large print Bible. But we still, we went through Romans 3. 23, I said, look at this, what it says. You know, all of a sudden it falls. And I, I led him through the Romans road of salvation. And he just started crying at the last, when I got to Romans 10 and said, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He just started crying. And I said, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, yeah. I mean, I knew the answer was coming and to sit there and to pray with him. To pray with him. But do you know it was his suffering that drove him to the Lord? Do you know that it was his own? He saw his dad come to the Lord through the health issues he had. Saw his dad baptized in the bathtub, but he really didn't never committed his life to the Lord. Never went to church. And yet it was through this very thing. And I said, look, if you didn't have this right now, you wouldn't be coming to Jesus right now. And that to me is more important. Your physical body is less important than your soul because your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. 
And now he knows Jesus, but it came through suffering. And, and that's been the way it has been in a number of people in our church. They have come to Christ through suffering in their life, and they would be the first ones to tell you that, man, that was a God sent. Humbled them enough to come to Jesus. And so look, suffering for a believer, yeah, you, you know, we know we're going to heaven. But there's times where God uses suffering to deepen our relationship with him. Satan comes at us two ways. He comes as an adversary of God to try and lead people away from the Lord. And the second way he comes as an agent or a tool in God's hands to try the people, try his people through authorized trials that God gives to drive his people closer to him. Those are the two ways Satan comes at people. Comes to draw people away and then he comes as a tool in God's hands to strengthen their faith. Suffering leads people to the Lord. Suffering's led many Christians to a deeper relationship with the Lord. The last thing is this. Suffering not only drives us to the Lord, and it not only depletes us of the pride that we sometimes have, but suffering will always serve the purpose of leading us to a greater dependence on God. That's what it does. Suffering in our lives will always lead us to a point where we are more dependent on the Lord. That's what he says. Do you know that Paul didn't get his prayer answered? Paul pleaded with the Lord that this would be taken from him. And that's not what God's answer was. And you understand this. When people say God doesn't answer prayer, that's a lie. God always answers prayer. He always answers prayer. Anytime somebody comes to the Lord in prayer, he always has an answer. But sometimes the answer is different than what we think it's going to be. Instead of God removing this thorn from his flesh, this stake in his flesh that he pleaded so hard to be removed, Jesus gives him a different answer. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So there's a dependency on God through all of this that comes through the suffering in our lives. One, there's a deeper recognition of God's grace. How great is is His grace? Sometimes we think grace is just the vehicle that gets us saved. But grace is much more than that. Grace is God's unmerited favor, yes, in salvation, but grace is God's unmerited favor in what you become in life. And that's why Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, not only was he saved, but by the grace of God, he was who he was. And that's what God's grace does for us. There's a deeper recognition of God's grace, but there's also a greater dependency on his power. That's what we see going on here. You know, how many have ever heard of Henrietta Mears? Henrietta Mears was, she was born in 1890. A lot of saints that have been around for a long time have heard her name before. I, I heard her name, first of all, at Forest Home when I went up there. But Henrietta Mears was, she was a, a Christian that strengthened the evangelical church. She was a woman used mightily of the Lord. She was born in 1890 and she died in 1963. 
And she was really the instrument that God used to really strengthen what we know today as Sunday school in the churches across the nations. But listen to what she said. Listen to what she said. Because she struggled with this extreme myopia and general eye weakness and irritation. She had this eye problem all her life. Could have been some like what Paul had. Some people thought he had something along these lines. But listen to what she said. She said, I believe my greatest spiritual asset through my entire life has been my failing sight. For it has kept me absolutely dependent on God. And she even said, she cried out like the Apostle Paul for the Lord to heal her. Never did. But I love that. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful that she would say that, that her greatest asset in her ministry was that eye problem because it kept her totally dependent on God. Paul became strong through his weakness. To the point where he says two things about his weaknesses. He says, I'll boast in my infirmities. That's odd. I mean, most people boast about their strengths. Most people boast about their accomplishments. Most people boast about what they have in this life and what they've made and attained. But Paul says, I'll boast in my infirmities. Kind of like an AA meeting or an NA meeting. You ever go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting and, and you don't have these guys that stand up and then, yeah, you know, my name's Walt and I got employee of the month. I own a beach house. I own two cars. No, they get up and they say, I'm Walt and I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) We'll have to edit that portion out because, you know, they'll do stuff like they're doing with Donald Trump. Take bits and pieces and put a video together. (laughs) This was Walt's message last Sunday. He finally came out and admitted that he was an alcoholic. I'm not. I'm a new creation in Christ. That's where I disagree. That's where I disagree with. That's where I disagree with the NA and the AA philosophy. I believe that you should come to that point of admitting your weakness and boasting in that infirmity. But once Christ saves you, the Bible says you're a new creation. You're not an alcoholic or a heroin addict anymore. Amen. New creations is happy about that, right? No more parole. <laughs> Amen. Go home and the parents don't have to hide everything from you thinking you're going to steal it. Now they can come have Thanksgiving dinner with them. He not only said he boasts his infirmities, but he says, I take pleasure. I take pleasure in them. Now, he wasn't a masochist. He wasn't one who liked pain. What he meant by that is he liked the outcome of what it brought. Look at chapter 11. Just turn back one chapter and get what's going on here. The false apostles are boasting about how blessed they are in the Lord. They're boasting about all these visions that they had in the Lord. Paul, not even wanting to mention his own name in the first part of chapter 12, doesn't want to boast or doesn't want to even admit that he had that vision of the Lord been brought into paradise. But look what Paul says in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Speaking of the the false apostles, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in details 
in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned three times, I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleepless often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And look at this, verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.